Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 54, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. This episode features a special guest, new Major League Rugby Commissioner, George Killebrew. Finally, the MLR has come back into our lives. Peter Steinberg, it is here. The wait is over. We have made it to week one, and we have a big show for you today as well. Like you just heard, Commissioner George Killebrew joins the show a little later on for some Q&A from the fan engagement uh, we had during the week. We're going to jump into some Q&A as well. But first, let me introduce my co-commentator, Pete Steinberg. Pete, I hear you're uh, somewhere around the globe. Are you safe? First and foremost. I am safe. I am safe. It is um, uh, four o'clock in the morning um, in Singapore. So I'm in Singapore working here with a client. Um, missing the uh, the snow that I think you had in Colorado. My uh, um, my wife Yvonne is uh, um, 35 weeks pregnant, and we're shoveling the snow yesterday. And I just said, uh, just don't go into labour while you're shoveling shoveling the snow. That's all I ask. That's all I ask. But I'm out here in Singapore, uh, um, enjoying the uh, high 80s and humidity that they have there. Yeah, unfortunately, we came back from Mexico the day after snow. So I left 82 degrees in Tulum and landed in uh, three degrees of snow in Denver. It was heartbreaking. So I feel Yvonne's pain. Probably not physically the same pain Yvonne's feeling right now, but emotionally, I'm right with her. Well, Singapore sounds great. Where are you staying? uh, Give us a lowdown on what you're doing over there before we jump into the Q&A. Yeah, so I um I I run a uh, um a management workshop for a client that has offices around the world. So they send me out here. It took me a, a day to get here. Um, um, I teach for two days and, and and then I go back. I'm staying at the uh, Western on Asia Square, which is just a wonderful hotel. This is the fourth time I've been out here. Man, Dan, it has to be said that you know when you when it's snowing in um Colorado and your wife is texting you about shoveling. And you're sitting at the infinity pool on the 35th floor. What you don't tell her is that you're sitting at the infinity pool on the 35th floor when she's talking to you about shoveling. That is not a good move. I know, especially as you're getting the massage and, you know, eating all the fine foods that are being brought to your room. But (laughs) husband of the year 2020, uh, I'm not sure if you're going to go back to back this year. I might might stump you this year just on the back of that, leaving your poor pregnant wife to shovel snow, Pete. What were you thinking? (laughs) Well, we did put out a big... uh, you know, push on social media for some questions for the show this week. Uh, want to get the fans more involved with the show, more involved with the league. So, Pete, why don't we jump into our Q&A session before we bring uh, Commissioner George Killebrew in for his questions as well. Now, you want to go first here? You want me to hit you with the first question? Sure. Hit me with the first question. Seawolves fandom. I'm guessing uh, one of our fans from the Pacific Northwest there home of the back-to-back champions. How does a player transfer between teams? Who is involved in the decision-making, the negotiation? Are there protected players that cannot be posed? Or is anyone fair game? I'm thinking he might be talking about Happy Nakatini there, who, of course, was picked up by Old Glory this year. Pete, your answer on that one. Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways um, team players can move. The first thing is there's actually an ex- an ex- expansion draft so for the new teams um trying to find players especially u.s and canadian players to play it's obviously quite difficult and so um uh, teams that have already been in the league get to protect a certain number of um players and then the expansion teams are able to um go and pick uh players that are not in that protected space but all of the player contracts are um, held centrally so every player contract is actually with Major League Rugby, not with the team itself. And so what happens is that if a player's contract ends, then it's really an agreement between the team's GMs um, and the player about that move because their contract is with the league itself. So it's sort of one of these interesting things. Um, it's very much like the MLS with um, the contracts being centrally owned by the league, which allows players to move and then those numbers, those um, contract numbers move from one salary cap to another salary cap. So uh, that's how it works. But it's you know, primarily just between the GMs and the players. 
Um, I think there are some rules there and, you know, I don't want to get too much into it, but there are some rules around, um, you know, uh, players having first um, or teams having first right of refusal. So in other words, if someone's contract ends, then that team has the first right of refusal to kind of make another bid for that player. But the player, if they're after their contract ends, they can talk to other teams and other GMs and it ends up being sort of a bit of a negotiation. It's one of these things we have to remember about Major League Rugby is that um, owners don't own teams. Owners own a piece of Major League Rugby. Um, and so they're all working to the same benefits. There's definitely competition. Teams want to do well, but they also recognize that the league is successful when all the teams are successful. It's one of the interesting parts of the model. A rising tide. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, so we have another question for you, Dan, and this is um, from Twitter, and it's Mayonic. With the competition getting better every year, what are the chances of the Seawolves repeating as champs? This is a really interesting question. It's a great question, Mayonic, and I appreciate you sending that in to us. Well, everyone's a chance, right? All the teams uh, have the same record as of today, the 5th of February, 2020. So everyone is a chance to win the comp. They won it year one uh, as a bit of an unknown. They won it year two as defending champs with a big target on their back. So there's absolutely nothing stopping Seattle from going three times in a row, the old three-peat. The roster's strong. They've kept the core of their playing group from last year. There's a lot of talent there. There's a lot of youth there. They've made some smart acquisitions. We talked about Happy Nakatini leading, but they've made uh, some smart acquisitions as well and brought in some good players. They're in a tough division in the West, but you know all they've got to do is get into that top three, play finals rugby, and you're a chance to go through. So competition is definitely getting better, but their chances, if I was to give it out of uh, 10, I would say they would probably be about an eight right now to go Whoa. and eight. have a shot. Yo, eight. they've got... Listen, they're, they're a winning team. They have a winning culture. And I'll actually add to this next question I'm going to ask you. They have a great environment up there. Uh, it's, going to be, uh, it's going to be tough to go to Seattle and beat them. So I think they're going to be in the finals. And at that point, it's anyone's ball game. Who can turn well, up I think and play this, the best yeah, 80 I mean, minutes? So, so I think it's true. I think, I think that um, if, you were, if you said, who is most likely to win? and you looked at the records and you looked at the teams, I think the Seawolves are probably the favorites to repeat. Um, you know, they have some older players on their team, um, but they've definitely brought in some new players. They're going to be better this year. But we have to remember that, you know, last year against San Diego, it was a bounce of the ball, right? I mean, it's like, I think that once you get into the playoffs this year, it's going to be bounces of balls. So I think Seattle are very, very good. I think they're the favorites, but they also have to remain lucky. And as long as they remain lucky, I think that they'll be in good shape. I agree. Well said. Also, from Twitter, this one comes in from Canafish2, or Canafish2, depending on how you want to look at it. Could be a can of fish or a can of fish. I'm not too sure. <laughs> Who has the best and loudest fans? Pete, well, take it away. Well, I think this one is so I think the loudest fans is easy um, because I think the loudest fans are in. Seattle. I think uh, Starfire rocks when you're there. Um, they sell it out. I also think that the structure there, and you've been there, it's kind of like an old traditional stand with a, um, with a roof, which actually makes it sound louder because it reverberates in there. And, you know, I, if, if we look at the responses that we got, you know, Aaron Castro, our producer, went to all the Facebook pages, went to all of the... Um, you know, posted on Reddit, you know, we did everything through Twitter and Instagram. Who responded the most? The people that responded the most were, were from Seattle. I think they have the biggest fan base. I think they have the most engaged fan base. And I think that's the best fan base. Let's get to um, Facebook. So we have um, Kendra Van Deval Higgs, who is a Seattle fan. So, Dan, where does the MLR hope plan to be as a professional athletic organization with all that encompasses by its 10th year? So we're about to kick off year three. So we've got another seven seasons after this when we get to uh, KVDWHs, which is the abbreviation of Kendra Van Der Waal Higgs, of course, uh, her 10-year goal here. You know what? We're going to be bigger than the NFL. 
write it down, put it here right now. We're going to be bigger than which the NFL. Just, hold it, which just um, finished its hundredth season. Exactly. It took them a hundred, it's only going to take us 10. That's how much better rugby is than American football. No, but seriously, uh, we need to establish ourselves in the sports landscape here. We uh, are doing that. And again, I use we very loosely here. Uh, Pete and I do not have any official capacity with MLR except for this podcast. So inside knowledge or business and commercial information it does not trickle through to us. But this is just my opinion as a fan as well. So just as these fans have written in, as a fan, I think we just need to establish ourselves into the sports landscape here and uh, keep our identity, keep, keep the things that make rugby great, but also embrace some of the things that make America great. And uh, it's 2020, it's election year, so this is going to sound a little bit like my political campaign. But I don't think any other country in the world does sport quite like America. And I've watched sport throughout Europe, you know, in the Southern Hemisphere. It's a great spectacle, but no one does it the way they do it here. College sports, pro sports, and we need to embrace a little bit of that and not be so hesitant to welcome it into the game of rugby. Keep our ethics, keep our history, keep the substances that make rugby great, but don't be afraid to invite a little bit of, you know, America into it as well. I think if we do that, we'll establish ourselves not only with the existing fans in the game here that already love it, but also new fans who are going to gravitate to to all the things that make rugby great, but also want the familiarity that comes with an American sports event. So that's, that's where I'm at. You, Pete? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, first of all, seven years from now, it's going to be interesting to think about what the TV landscape looks like. I mean, you know, if you go back 10 years from now, now, it wasn't this whole streaming thing. I think that what, what we would like, I mean, I think that 10 years from now, what Major League Rugby would like to have is... Um, sustainable crowds, which probably are sort of 5,000 people plus at most games. Um, I think that would be a a good target. I think that they want it to be available so people can watch it on um, major, whether it's streaming platforms or or, or major networks. Um, So the profile is higher. And I think Major League Rugby wants to be able to have generated some revenue Right. So some big sponsors. So in other words, if you if you if you get the crowd and you get the exposure on TV or streaming platforms, then people will want to sponsor you. So I think 10 years from now, those are the three things that Major League Rugby probably needs to have done to to continue to grow and become part of the uh, um, part of the landscape. Well said, Pete. All right. Also from Facebook, Neil Atfell from Nola Gold. Is there a real salary cap? What are the penalties for breaking it? So, so lots of um, questions whenever you see a big signing and, um, you know, teams, are, um, you know, they, they, you hear about this big overseas signing and they say, how can they fit that under, under the salary cap? There, there is a salary cap. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, um, the teams are able to provide some extra benefits um, like housing uh, above, the, above the salary. Um, and there is a penalty. And, you know, there's a financial penalty and, you know, teams uh, um, last year, there were teams that were over the salary cap and had a financial penalty associated with it. So I think that, you know, the salary cap is going to be something that's that's evolving. Like I said, these, you, you know, the the um, the owners want the league to be sustainable and they want it to be competitive. And so while there's a lot of sort of complaining um, and, uh, you know, from fans about how this can possibly happen, how they could sign another player. Most of these teams aren't too far away from, from the salary cap. If you look at the teams that are able to sign lots of overseas players, you realize that they're actually teams that have a lot of local talent. So if you have a lot of local talent and you've got guys that have jobs, you know, you might have Eagles, U.S. national team players or Canadian players that have jobs. Right. You know, and, and they're not going to leave their job for a USA, sorry, for a, a major league rugby contract. But that means you don't have to pay them very much while you can pay others more. So I think when we look at the teams that have seemed to be signing all of these overseas players, but you look at their squads, it means that locally they have a much stronger playing base 
And so their local players that were grew up there, live there, have jobs there, don't have to have much in, impact on the salary cap. But there is a salary cap. Um, the teams share their books. They, they do review it. And there is a penalty if you go over it. And there have been teams that have had to pay that penalty in the past. Great answer, Pete. I'm not even going to touch it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but you've left me with this one. So we, uh, the next one we have is um, S.A. Uh, Abgoye. This is also from Facebook. Why did the structure change from what was unique to what we see in other major American sporting leagues now? And this is a good one for you to take. I'm assuming he's talking about the split into conferences here, Pete. Would you assume yeah, the same? Just, yeah, okay. that's what I think, yeah. Twofold. So I think there's two really good reasons why this happened. Uh, the first one is we now have the opportunity to create rivalries, which is a big part, again, of the American sports landscape. Boston, New York, Atlanta, New Orleans, we're following these trends and we're going to get to see them evolve into Major League Rugby as well. The second one, it's costs. If, uh, if anyone on here listening travels a lot for work and you're booking a lot of plane tickets, times that by 30 for every MLR team, and think about what that adds up to over a 16-game season. So keeping things regional on East Coast and West Coast is going to help a lot with travel. It's going to help develop rivalries. It's going to help, you know, a lot of new fans be able to identify a little bit easier with the teams that they're watching their team play against as well. So everyone in New Orleans will know when Atlanta comes to town. They hate the Falcons. They hate Matty Ice. So when they come down to the, the Shrine on Airline, the gold mine on Airline, it's called now, absolutely love it. They're going to know that when they see Atlanta, we don't like Atlanta. So I just think it's going to make things a little bit easier for new fans to uh, assimilate to and recognize. And obviously the cost is a big thing as well, Pete. Anything from you to add on that one? No, I think, I think it's right. I mean, I think the, um, you actually said it before which is the, um, uh, it was the, uh, um, the fact that we want to be part of the American landscape. So we have to look, I think, like an American sport, but we want to keep the values of rugby. And I think we can do that. 100%. All right. Phil Rosenbrock on Facebook. Phil asks this question, Pete. What kind of pathways are there or being created to help promote interest in the sport and for the growth of the game for players and or coaches in surrounding communities of teams around the country? Good question, Phil. Well, I mean, this is all done. Um, uh, I think this is all done um, you know, by local market, but you can see some of the really good stuff that's happening. So the Toronto Arrows um, have created a, uh, um, an academy system for um, players in Canada to have a pathway to being um, in, you know, a, a Toronto Arrow play. So they're, they're creating a, a full academy. You can see Atlanta with the 404 program. Um, they're doing a, a, um, a, you know, a great building, a, a pathway for local players that want to become major league rugby professionals. You can see partnerships with um, like uh, um, old glory, which we talked about. I mean, they're very focused in, uh, um, you know, developing a pathway for local players through the capital rugby union. And so the, uh, um, the all-star program there is, is, you know, is, is affiliated Seattle are doing the same thing. So I think all of these teams are looking to find ways to be able to help grow the local game. And, you know, we, um, the Gilgronis, the Austin Gilgronis came out and said that they're going to pay, you know, all the membership um, players for the local youth players, right? All, all the membership dues. And I think that things like that are really, really important. So teams have recognized that for them to be sustainable, they need to attract players, young players to be fans. I mean, if I was owning a team, I would want every local young player to actually wear the uniform of my team because then they will affiliate themselves with it and then they'll become a fan. But they also know that local players are cheaper in, 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 the, long, in the long game. So you can see a lot that's going on. Each team is doing it individually, which is the way Major League Rugby is sort of structured. The league itself is not going to dictate how those things do and each organization has different 
um, challenges within their local communities. So some have very strong youth rugby locally, some don't have much at all. Some have very strong club rugby, some don't have much to do. I mean, you know, I think that it all depends. You can see, um, you know, Houston have sort of, you know, engaged with West Houston. It's become their feeder program. So they're all out there because they know that their future is attached to it. Anything from you on that one, Dan? No, I think that's uh, very, very well done there, Pete. I think the more these clubs, as we've seen in Seattle, as their outreach in the community has come back to them twofold in terms of support, uh, the other teams are going to do the same. And it, and it really looks like the expansion teams have, have looked at what the more successful sides in the opening two years have done and have really adopted that program as well. So I'm excited for year three. I'm, i got to give credit. I know a lot of people uh, are talking about the Gilgronies for the name and everything, but to me, the most important thing that came out of that press release is what they're going to do for the youth there and how they're going to support the youth programs in Austin in particular, in that little corridor of Texas as well. And if I'm, I am, I am a father, uh, I have a family of four. If you can tell me, hey, you can bring your family out to the Circuit of Americas and watch rugby for $20, $5 a ticket, that I'm in. Right, that's a great experience, and they're going to make it a great experience. I think what they're doing there is fantastic, and I think other teams will kind of take note of that and understand capturing families is going to be so important to the sustainability of the game here. So, all right, let's keep them going, Pete. Move on. Move on, move on. Okay. Um, the next question is from Hunter Russell, who is a NOLA fan. Who do you think will make the biggest impact among newcomers to the gold this season? Great question. Hunter Russell, two first names. Awesome stuff, Hunter Russell. I love it. I have three players for you. The big one is going to be the loss of Tristan Blewett. Let's just get that out of the way first. Tristan continuing his education in the UK. Him not coming back, what a blow. Here's three names for you, Hunter, to be excited about in 2020. Robbie Coleman, fly half from the Brumbies in Australia. He's going to come over, make an immediate impact. He is an absolute stud, played sevens with the Australian side. So he's got a very, very good understanding with Con Foley and Scott Gale already, knows those guys well. He will fit in well with Nate Osborne's plan. Now he's your replacement, I think, for Tristan Blewett to watch this year. Big man, Carl Meyer. He's going to be playing some fullback. I think he may bump up into 13, depending on what they want to do with JP Eloff and how those switch those around. We saw that a little bit with Blewett last year, moving from wing to center, center to wing. He is a big, big boy. So he's a total opposite type of player of what you saw with Blewett. He's 6'3", and he's 105 kegs, which is 232 pounds. Big, big man. He's going to be direct running lines. He's going to hurt people in the midfield, but he's still going to score those tries for you. Up front, keep an eye on Dino Waldron. You should already know the name. USA Eagle, St. Mary's product, been overseas. Popped up for the Legion late last year, but he is a big signing up front. They missed Ben Tarr through injury. Now they've got Dino Waldron there as some cover. So you're going to have Howard, Waldron, Tarr up front, and that's going to be a great front row when you throw in Falcon Sullivan as well. So really excited about that front row for the goal this year, as you too should be. Hunter, because it's going to be an absolutely sensational year down there for the NOLA goal. Excited. We'll be there in week two, Pete. So, Hunter Russell, come find us. And now we've answered your question. You owe us a photo and a smile. All so right. I got, so, so oh. I'm going to be, I, I'm, I just want to, um, I'm going to be with, like, I'm with you on that, particularly on the props. I actually think Ben Tar coming back, I think there was some question about whether he would be fit is big. I think the loss of Ben Tar last year is directly related to the um to the drop-off that uh nola gold had but i'm going to call out someone that, that i'm excited it's not a new player but again it's someone that came back come, came back from injury and it's a player i know well and that's malcolm may um he's a flanker that played at penn state i got a chance to work with him a little bit when he was at penn state um an amazing leader a really good athlete and someone that i think is going to be an eagle and i think he's got a great opportunity with the nola gold to um, step up and do some great stuff. I tell you, I love you Nittany Lions, Pete. You guys stick yep. together. It truly is a pride when you come out <laughs> of the Nittany Lions because uh, I've never seen such loyalty. And uh, Malcolm May, yeah, we heard him last year when he signed and then didn't get much time or injury, as you said. But, man, what a uh, what an athlete and what a player he's going to be for Nola as well. All right, moving on. 
John Hooley. Let's go with Hooley. He's an Austin fan. So he is uh, a Gilgroniac. Uh, Gil, is that what we're going to call him? <laughs> I think that's, I think that's a, I think he's that a, would, um, He yeah. is a Gilgroniac to the core. He's been a Gilgroniac for years. He loves them. What are Austin's strengths and weaknesses? Are they improved enough to make the playoffs in 2020? So this is a, this is a really interesting question because um, it's going to be difficult, I think, to really know what their strengths and weaknesses are. I think it's um, because they've got a new coaching staff, they have a lot of turnover, but they've made some big name signings recently. So um, Adam Ashley Cooper, who is, uh, you know, maybe one of the best athletes ever to play for the Wallabies, would you say, Dan? Yeah, I've, I've never heard someone say a, a bad thing about Adam Ashley Cooper in terms of not only as a human being, but as a player. He was very, very well respected. And that's saying a lot uh, coming, you know, because usually Australians are uh, a little bit cheeky, so they don't have the best reputations at times. But he was very well respected from opposition and always had a lot of time for him. I think at one point... Uh, New Zealand media said he is the only player that would make the All Blacks. And that's when they were, you know, in their World Cup run there. So big, uh, big sign of respect there for Adam Ashley Cooper. Now, now, you know, the challenge that a lot of these teams have when they make these signings is visas. I think we're going to see um, a number of the big name players not be available in the early couple of weeks as their visas get processed. They're taking a little bit longer now than maybe they have in the past. But I'm actually, I actually think that where they have got the strongest is or, or where they've made a big signing is Kurt Morath. Kurt Morath played for Utah the first year, then went to the UK and played professionally and bringing back an experienced fly half. It's one of the big things. It was so frustrating to watch Austin last year, you know, put like Rodrigo Silva there, who's really a fullback um, and a scrum half like Rodrigo Silva really played fullback and scrum half before he came to Austin. Um, uh, they had Elan Puddick there, um, I think, for one of their warm-up games. So they don't have a fly half. And so actually, I think the signing of um, Kurt Morath has been a big signing for Austin. Um, hopefully, his visa that he had two years ago is still valid and he'll be able to get over pretty quickly because that was their big loss. I think, you know, their, their pack, um, they have Echeverria, Tighthead, who did well. Their, their pack was solid. Like, they actually had a solid pack that was able to compete. They've added some international experience in the back row. I think they're going to be solid, but I think having a really experienced fly half is what's going to help them a lot. I, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I think they've had too much transition. They've got a new coach. They've had a lot of turnover. But I think we're going to see them be more competitive, and I think they're going to win some games. Yeah, I'm going to uh, echo your sentiments there and say the same thing. Healthy, if they're on the field together, that's one of the more dangerous rosters in the West. But depth-wise, it'll be a test. I think with the new ownership coming in, you know, there's always a, a breath of, of freshness, right, that comes through a program and, and that may get them fired up to come out of the gates. And uh, it'll be interesting to see, like you said, visas, getting things in, you know, I know Frank Alai, I don't think he's there yet. Adam Ashley Cooper. So once they get them, Sebastian Calm, I'm excited to see him come back. It's been a rough couple of years for Seb on the injury front down in NOLA. So it'll be interesting to see if he can get back to full fitness and strength and start playing again. But it's, it's a great question, but it's tough to answer because all we have right now is paper. We, we don't have a form guide to go on. So... That's the tough thing about the opening round. Everyone looks great on paper, but how are they going to look when they get on the field? Yeah, and we don't, we don't even know. I mean, I think one of the interesting things for the expansion teams, also teams that have had a lot of turnover, you know, they have, um, you know, Brent Simmons, who's the new coach. There's a lot of learning. I'm not even sure that these teams will know what their best team is in the first weekend. And it will take a few weeks for them to really kind of work out who can step up and play. So, but I think we're going to see improvements from Austin. I know that they've had some, you know, additional support with um, some top guys coming in from Australia, sort of helping with some processes on, on the coaching side and high performance side. And I think you're going to see um, a team that's going to get better as the season goes on. Okay, so the last question, and anyone who follows this podcast knows this answer. So this is um, from Instagram. It's uh, at um, Darren 
Zimanek. He's a Seattle fan, and he says, which Seawolf player are you most excited to watch this year? Well, Darren. I mean, I mean, I mean if like you are mind. a Seawolves fan, you know the answer to this question. And it starts with Brad and it ends with Tucker. Like, there is no other player that I'm excited to watch other than Brad Tucker, who at some point this season may apply for a restraining order against me because this is just getting a little creepy. <laughs> but I do love watching me some Brad Tucker. I'm excited to watch Villy come back and, and have a full year. Uh, he, he looks as fit as he's ever been before. I'm excited for JP Smith to play a whole year at scrum half. I'm excited to see Ben Seema with some different talent around him this year and what he can do. Ross Neal, young wasp player who was climbing to the peak of his career in, in the UK and decided to come to Seattle I'm excited to see what Ross can do over here. Jeff Hasler, wow, what an end of the year Jeff had. And now he has a full preseason where he wasn't pulling anchors and crab pots off boats. And he can get out there and, and play on the wing for, for the Seawolves this year. So there's a bunch of players I'm excited to see. But, um, I, I, you know, I think Seattle have, have done, you know, they haven't, um, you know, sat on their hands in the off season. Um, and recently they just brought in Andrew Duratalo, who's a, who's another former Eagle playing professionally overseas. That's, that's coming back. I mean, there's, these guys have refreshed. They've brought in some new talent. I agree with you. Ross Neal, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a great um, test for the level of the league. Cause Ross Neal is a guy that played for Wasps. Like he started head games or he started for Wasps. He's good enough to play in the premiership. I think a lot of people in the UK and in England, were quite surprised to see him come over. And so, you know, he's six foot five, 238 pounds center. Man, makes you just not want to play, <laughs> play rugby when you hear those numbers. So it's going to be interesting. I think the Seawolves are going to be um, an, an interesting game and uh, um, in, they're going to have an interesting season. And I think they're going to have some new players step up and, and be impactful. Yeah, Andrew Duratolo, when Drew gets going, I don't think there's a more devastating ball carrier Right. In the league. He is scary when he gets moving. He has a massive engine and he's 6'2", says 245. Uh, I don't know what scale he's weighing himself on, but I want to get on that scale as well. Because if he's 245, I'm, I'm not going to say it on a podcast because then people will make fun of me. But Drew, is, if he comes fit, I know he left. He had some stuff he needed to take care of back in Fiji. If he comes motivated, fit and ready to go, Look out! It's going to be a, it's going to be a great year up there for Seattle again. We go back to our question: Can they go a three P? Well, if that guy gets fired up and going, yes, they can. Well, we thanks thanks to everyone for all of their questions. We we appreciate um, the engagement. Uh, it's been great. We'll probably look to do it again at some point when we get into the. Uh, um, uh, when, when we get into the season, but it was great to hear some of the questions that are out there and, and, and to engage with um, with the fans. Yeah, we hope we answered it uh, to your liking. If your question didn't get picked, don't be disheartened. There was a lot that came in and we will do this again throughout the year. So make sure you ask some more questions and we'll try to get them in as much as we can throughout the year, especially if this is something that the fans want to hear more of, then we're happy to do it. But Pete, we did have... Some questions that were specifically selected for our commissioner, George Killebrew. So let's welcome George into the show now as we'll jump into some fan Q&A with the new commissioner of Major League Rugby, George Killebrew. All right, we are joined now by the MLR commissioner, George Killebrew. George, we appreciate you joining the MLR Kickoff podcast and uh, making some time for us today on the eve of 2020, season three kickoff. Happy to be with you guys. Anytime, anytime. You're about a month and some change into the job. How has it been so far, mate? You know, it's been great. Uh, getting to know our 12 owners, uh, some of our expansion owners as well. I mean, this is a really great group of guys that are determined to make Major League Rugby really work in this country and in Canada. Uh, they've done remarkable work to get it to year three, to be honest with you, to have the international broadcast partners that we have and, and some of the momentum um, that they've gotten in these first three years is really, if you look at the history of leagues, is remarkable, uh, even the biggest leagues uh, in year three. But there's definitely some growing pains 
along the way, which is expected. But so far, so good. And looking forward to kicking it off in Las Vegas this weekend. So, so George, you know, you're, um, you've come obviously from uh, um, traditional professional sports with the Dallas Mavericks for 20 years. Coming on board, what, talk, to, talk to us about some of the things that surprised you coming on board with Major League Rugby. Obviously, you weren't part of it before. Um, you may have heard about it. But when you came on board and now you've been here a while, what were some of the surprises? You know, there wasn't a ton of surprises because I, I, you know, I did my homework and I met with several members of the board before accepting the position. I think the pleasant surprises are that, you know, they had a national footprint in a broadcast partner in, in CBS, um, you know, in year two already, you know, doing 17 matches on CBS Sports Network in the finals, you know, on big CBS, if you will. I mean, that's really remarkable work for a two-year-old league. And so I was pleasantly surprised that they had the national footprint from a broadcast perspective. I was pleasantly surprised that all the local clubs had their own broadcast partners as well. So, you know, for a fledgling league in year two to have television really checked off uh, was, was impressive. And now, um, you know, I guess the surprises on the other side would be how we need to focus in on, you know, the attendance at our games and, selling season tickets and selling local sponsorships and putting on a great game presentation and having robust community relationships and really being embedded in the rugby community in our cities, I think is, is probably the next step. George, Pete touched on your time with the Mavericks, a well-established you know, NBA franchise here, successful, you know, won, won a title not too long ago. You could really focus on your day-to-day there under your title. As the commissioner now, in a in a starting in a fledging league, you're probably going to wear many caps trying to get things going. What are some of the things for 2020 you really want to dial your focus into and be successful this year? Well, you know, first of all, I want to be able to get to every market and really see how they put on a game and and really really start to focus in on the things that we haven't done as well at, and that is the kind of the commercialization of the sport. You know, we we need to attract major sponsors to help us. We need to continue to make our broadcast partnerships really work for us. And, and what I mean there is not just air our games, but be a true marketing partner for the league. Um, you know, we, those are important things. I think, you know, the continuing the, the path of growing rugby at the youth level, you know, and, and training fans at an early age to be fans of our teams are all important. Um, and there's a list of 20, right? So, you know, it, to, to your point, um, you know, being a commissioner, you wear a lot of hats. Um, but, but those are some of the things I want to focus on, you know, in the near term rather than the long term. Well, you mentioned the fans, and that is one of the reasons we've brought you on. We opened up on the social media platforms uh, for the last week, asking fans for questions that they would have for you. And we have five of the best that we have with us now. Pete, you want to kick us off with uh, the commissioner questions? We've got one of the questions that has probably been the hottest question um, on the internet for the last week. And this is from Instagram and it's Boosie the Boss. At Boosie the Boss. What is a Gilgronis? Yes, the Gilgronis. So that is our new team in Austin. Um, I think this story is going to be a really fun one to follow, mostly because of the ownership group there. Uh, it's led by a guy by the name of Adam Gilchrist, uh, who's Australian and um, has a very successful chain of gyms called F45 that is, is household names in Australia, but has is, is recently come over to the U.S. as well. I believe we have 15 of them popped up in, in my city alone. Um, if, if you look at that whole press release about them coming to Austin, there's some remarkable things in there. Um, one is that they're going to pay all the dues for the youth rugby players in Austin. Two, they're going to sponsor the under 20, the under 18, and the under 16 elite teams in Austin. Three, a family, you know, can come to games with at a $5 ticket. Um, and so they're, they're doing some really great things to breathe some life into a market that quite honestly was an underperformer in the MLR. And sometimes in sports, you have to take some risk. You know, and the name has been bantered about a bit, I guess, um, the, the definition is a Texas-sized cocktail. Um, 
And sometimes you have to be outrageous in your marketing. And I think what you're going to find with this group is that they are true marketers. They, they, of all our ownership groups, I will tell you that uh, Adam, to me, is, is one of the most forward thinkers when it comes to marketing and, and how to take something that isn't very relevant today. And, and let's just be honest, that franchise it was not one of the high performers in this league and is trying to breathe life into it in a lot of different ways. One, through a name. One, through their policies. Two, about how they're going to treat their community. Three, about them moving into a first-class facility at the Circuit of the Americas, which I will be at tomorrow uh, with them. Um, and it really gives me great hope that the Austin franchise is going to compete to be one of our finest franchises in our league. I think it's, uh, I'm certainly uh, excited to go down to Austin. Um, Dan and I are doing the game this weekend, and I think you're right. I think there's, it's, uh, um, they're taking some risks in marketing, but I think that um, uh, that's what they're going to have to do to get that franchise going. Another question, and this one is another question. I've been actually been engaged on um, uh, on on the internet and Twitter with arguments and discussions about this. But this is a, this is an interesting one for me, and it's from um, Zhang Hai on Instagram. So at Zhang Hai, with the trend of incoming top quality talent, this is Bastaro, the Beast, Marnonu. Um, how will the league balance attracting foreign players to elevate the sport in the U.S., but make sure that U.S. and Canadian talent are developed as well, since foreign players are not U.S. or Canadian eligible? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and the key word in that question is balance. Um, I think that's really, really important. Um, obviously, our teams are developing academies and trying to grow the U.S. talent, and then you mix that in with top international talent, that just raises the bar. Uh, so I think it's a balance. I think, you know, we, we are going to continue to develop, to develop rugby players in the U.S. and Canada. And I think by those gentlemen that you mentioned, bringing them in, it just raises the bar. So it's really finding a way to strike that balance of both top-tier international talent and the development of the U.S. and Canada local talents. So I think, you know, and the, um, all of this new talent that's coming in has um, created some interest overseas. And we actually have a lot of overseas followers for this podcast, so overseas followers for the, um, for the league. So um, the last question for me is, um, and I'm not exactly sure whether this is at, this on, from Instagram, at Rugby World, I think it might be RWC Inc. Um, that's what it looks like on Instagram. On Instagram. Um, have I noticed more interest in international rugby companies investing in major league rugby teams this year? How does that impact the league and the teams? Yeah, I mean, this is a trend that we're going to see going forward. And it's, it's not like any other, um, it's no different than any other way you invest in things. You don't invest in things that are at the highest of value. You try to find things that are better value and maybe are going to grow over time. And I think what the international rugby community is realizing is that that opportunity lies here in the United States and specifically with major league rugby. And, and, you know, I've spent, you know, a lot of my first couple months here talking to international investors that may want to take stakes in some of our teams. Um, and a couple of those transactions have already occurred and it, they're important for, for a number of reasons. One um, a capital infusion is always good. Uh, two, it's the, the ability to share best practices from established rugby organizations that can work with our teams here in the U.S. and Canada. And that is sharing best practices on the field, on the pitch, with coaching, with development, with GMs, also in business practices and commercial practices. So it's, it's almost like getting a, a big brother um, they, can, they can help you kind of maneuver in the early years some of these harder areas that at the end of the day lets our local teams compete at the best possible time. But it, it is definitely going to be a trend going forward. And, and I know that just because of the amount of people that have reached out to me and wanting to talk about MLR and our teams and our cities to see if there's a role for them to be involved. 
All right, Pete, I love it. Uh, George, I love it when Pete starts talking about the socials with the Instagram and stuff. He, he did the hard ones. Here comes the easy ones for you. This one comes from San Diego Sports on Twitter. And this is a big one because this was a big part of, uh, of your previous world in, in the NBA. Can we get an MLR all-star game? And how would it look as a follow-up? Well, that's a great question. It's obviously something that's not on our horizon this season. But of course, I mean, that's what all, if you aspire to be, you know, in this country, we'll say the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball or Major League Soccer, which is really probably the most interesting comparison, considering they're the youngest kind of like we are uh, of the comparables. You know, they all have a, a great all-star extravaganza and there's no reason we shouldn't either. Uh, I've been approached you know, with a couple of pretty interesting ideas. One is is to bring over um, an established rugby club over into the United States and play in a major stadium, kind of very similar to how it uh, was done a few years ago at Soldier Field in Chicago uh, with the All Blacks, but maybe have a, a team like that come over and play the MLR, MLR All-Stars, whether it's a preseason match or a midseason match. I, I think it's something that uh, with the right pomp and circumstance, our fans would really like. And that's really what it comes down to is we, we try to grow these fan bases coming to our games on a weekly basis in our cities. You know, once, you know, they're, once they are the ones asking for this, you know, and there's enough of them there that we know it'll be a successful event. And it's definitely something we, we will be talking about. And hopefully it's in our near future. Yeah, well, we have the conference split with East versus West. That's a logical one. But I do like the idea of uh, international teams coming in as well, a truly global game coming to the U.S., which would be great. All right, last question for you. This comes from Robinette Matt on Twitter. Does the MLR need USA rugby? A little bit open there, so I'll let you kind of interpret that how you will. Well, yeah, I mean, the answer to that is without question. Everyone in the United States that has the word rugby attached to them need one another, right? So there's, there's a lot of talk about, um, you know, bidding on a world cup, for example, in the United States, possibly as soon as 2027 or, or possibly in 2031, you know, in order for that to happen, which would be just an, a monumental event for the United States and Canada, be a monumental occurrence for major league rugby but in order for those things to occur, everyone has got to be on the same page. And, and that's, you know, that's, you asked earlier about the many hats you wear. Um, you know, my hat as commissioner and part of my role there is to do our part to make sure we are a good partner with USA Rugby, with, with like I said, really any entity that has rugby in their name in this country, we all have to be somewhat on the same page. Now, you're never going to agree on everything. I understand that. But if the end goal is to lure a World Cup of rugby to the United States, then the only way that occurs is if we all get on the same page. So absolutely, we need USA rugby. We need everything and everyone that has rugby in their title, from every rugby club to all the way up the, the rung um, to be on the same page and, and working and pulling the same direction towards common goals. So that's a, that's an easy one. And the answer is by all means. Well, commissioner that wraps it up. I appreciate your time. Uh, honesty and transparency has been outstanding, excited for 2020, excited to have you on board and see where you can take this fantastic game here in the United States. Thank you guys. Appreciate you having me on. Looking forward to catching up this year over a couple of Gilgronies. Adam Gilchrist's shout. How's that sound? Yes, you're buying. Adam Gilchrist is buying. <laughs> Done. Even better. Commissioner, thanks again <laughs> for joining the show. We appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to catching up throughout the year. Thank you, guys. See ya. There you have it. New commissioner of Major League Rugby and uh, very calm, cool, collected character answering those questions. And I'm sure the Gilgronies one uh, won't get annoying for him as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he's, he seems enthusiastic, excited. Um, it's great to have someone with his experience. Um, you know, Dean Howes was definitely the right guy to start the league, get it going um, with, with his experience. I don't think we could have done it without Dean Howes, but it's great to have someone like George Killebrew look to move the league forward. Yeah, it's, it's tough not to get excited. He does have a very infectious personality, very positive, very upbeat, and 
what a great resume working with the Mavericks and before that indoor soccer as well. So great way to uh, segue off into this weekend's games, Pete. We're going to do our match previews now. Let's kick things off down in Texas, where our commissioner is from, down in Houston, as the Sabercats will kick off 2020 as they welcome in the newly rebranded Colorado Raptors. That game will be at 12 o'clock Eastern, which is an early one for those on the West Coast, 9 a.m. on the West Coast. It'll be on ESPN News in the United States, Facebook for our international viewers. Pete, how do you see this one playing down there at Aviva Stadium? So I think this is a big game. I mean, I think, I think, I think this is a game that could have a playoff impact. Right. I mean, I think that these are two of the teams that if you look at the West are going to be battling for that third spot. I think it's going to be really, really tough to call. I, I think that we're not sure exactly what this looks like. There's been a lot of change at the Raptors. Um, there's been a lot of change at Houston. There are new coaches. There are new players coming in. The hard thing about this is that, you know, the Raptors have a couple of overseas players. I don't know that, um, you know, um, we don't know if they're in town yet. I think that's going to be one of the hard things as we go through this. We don't know what these rosters are. But I think this is at Houston. I think Houston are going to do it at the stadium. Um, now, this is tough. This is tough. You know, Houston don't, you know, don't have Paul Mullen. They don't have the scrum that they had, but they still have a solid set piece. The question is, have Houston improved enough? I think this is going to be a close game, but I'm going to give it to the Raptors. I think it's going to be, I think, you know, this, these early games are going to be tough. I don't think that these are going to be flowing games. I'm going to give it to the Raptors. I think it's going to be 22-17 to the Raptors. Well, as of today, Rennie Ranger is in town. He is here. Oh, uh, you, you always do this. You tell me this news after I make my prediction. You pick the Raptors. You talk so much. I never have a chance oh, to interject. Okay, I'm fine with that. I still feel like you cheated. I was going back and forth. If you told me that before, I'd be like, it's the Raptors. He was on I the gram. You know, you got to check the gram. Yeah, Pete, the Instagram. You love the Instagram, PJ Rugby 9. Uh, I don't think Digby Wani is in town yet would be uh, the only one. But uh, you will have Rennie Ranger. Could you imagine waking up in Houston and playing outside centre and seeing that? You'd be like, oh, really? I was hoping to dodge that one. But Rennie Ranger is here in Raptors gear, looking fit and healthy too. So this is, this is a tough one. Uh, on the road to start the season for Colorado, down there in Houston, beautiful facility. They're looking to create something special down there, Houston. Um, I think the Raptors are going to get stronger as the year goes on. So I'll go against you here, Pete, and I'll go for a Sabercats win. I think it's going to be super tight, though. Uh, always early in the season, which we're still ironing out those preseason jitters and mistakes, so a more of a low-scoring game. Uh, the heat could be a big thing. It's a little bit warmer down in Houston, cold weather here in Colorado, so it could be a little bit draining for the Raptors going into that humidity for the first time for the season. So I'll go, uh, I'll go 22-19. Three-point ball game. Sabercats over the Raptors to start things off. All right, Pete, moving on to game two. Uh, and we are on Sunday now. It'll be at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. It's Old Glory. And they will be down there with New Orleans. Nola Gold christening their new grounds. The gold mine on the shrine. Uh, broadcast details TBD on this one still as of this very moment. Uh, local broadcast will probably be options. I think Old Glory announced that they'll be on their NBC affiliate channel locally. And NOLA Cox Sports down there in New Orleans. So keep an eye on those two. I'll go first, Pete. Uh, I'll go New Orleans straight out of the gate. I think uh, a lot of hype around the new stadium. I think it'll be a great crowd down there. Uh, I spoke to Scott Alexander last week. He is just absolutely chomping at the bit to get the season started. So, and I know Ryan Fitzgerald, Nate Osborne, uh, Tim Falcon, the whole crew down there have done a great job in building the atmosphere to Nola Gold. Old Glory, I don't know if the beast is in town. And I think once he gets here, once that scrum gets settled up and shored up, man, they're going to be a different outfit. But first game out of the gate for the expansion side, they'll hold themselves really well down there. But I think Nola will run away with it. Again, the weather could be spicy, so I'll go uh, 
All right, so I'm gonna, um, I mean, I think with some of these expansion slides, it's gonna be um, a little bit um, easier to make these calls. I think that I'm gonna go with Nola. Um, I think Old Glory is gonna struggle um, just because it's gonna be their first game. It's gonna be a big step up. I think, um, you know, Nate Osborne's been working with Nola. They had a great last game against Houston. I think they're gonna be hitting the ground running. I think this is gonna be Nola 35, Old Glory 10. Yeah, I like it. I like it. We agreed on one. Good stuff. But we we agree all the time. It's, it's like, it's, 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 it, but, you know, but you just don't always tell me. I mean, it's like, you're just, you're just a cheat. That's all it is. You're just a cheat. Yeah. I come from a country, get... you know, founded from convicts. I can't help myself. Game three. It'll be Utah on the road against Atlanta. Rugby ATL, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 o'clock Pacific. This one at Life University. This is University. on Sunday, right? Sunday, yep. A, Everything yeah, else is uh, Sunday from now on. Okay. All right. Pete, you're up on this one. This one I think's tough. This one's tough. I mean, I mean, there's a, you know, we, we, you know, we had a really good chat um, with Scott Lawrence. He, he's doing, you know, great stuff, but I'm, you know, I've heard really good things coming out of Utah. Um, I, I think this is, I think this is the chance of an expansion team making an impact early. I think I think um, rugby ATL have a have a chance of this. They're at home. Um, I think that they've got some some solid players. I think their preparation is good. You know, Utah comes in a little bit of an unknown. I think I'm going to give this one to, um, uh, and I think these guys played in a preseason, right? And I think it was a pretty close game. So I'm going to give this one to Rugby Atlanta. I'm going to give them the opening win but I think it's going to be really close. I think, you know, Utah can pull this off, but I'm going to give this to Rugby Atlanta and I'm going to say, I'm going to give it to them. I'm going to say 24-21. Close game. Close game, yeah. Again, I'll pull back the curtain here. We're recording on a, uh, on a Wednesday, so we haven't seen rosters. And with Utah and, and Rugby ATL, I would love to just take a look at the rosters of what they're putting out. I think it would make this easier. I'll go against you. I'll go with the established side in Utah. Um, even though it's on the road down there in Atlanta, I'll go Utah Warriors to kick their season off with a win. Uh, 32-17 down at Life University. And uh, just like Forrest Gump, but uh, I ain't got much else to say about that. Next game, four. game. This, is, this, this yeah. next game is going to be spicy. This one will. Now, we talked about rivalries earlier during Q&A, Pete. This, I don't think there's any bigger in sports in the U.S. than New York versus Boston. Uh, you have, you know, Yankees, Red Sox, Giants, Patriots. The history is just there. Celtics, Knicks. I mean, teams that just don't like each other. Rangers, Bruins. And now you add into that Rooney and the Free Jacks. It's going to be New York. It's going to be New England. 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on Sunday. It's in Las Vegas at Sam Boyd Stadium. I'm going first on this one. I will go for the New York boys because, you know, I played and lived in New York. It's hard to go against those people. And I got a lot of buddies on that team still. So Rooney will get it done. Uh, it'll be a, it'll be a, I really hope this is a real fiery game, Pete. I hope players buy in on the rivalry and establish it from the very first game. And there's no love lost between these teams. I will go 28-12, Rooney with the win. Um, I I think this is going to be a really interesting game. Um, I just, I think that like most of these expansion teams, I think it's going to be hard for them to hit the ground running. Um, I think that, I think it's going to be Rooney. I think it's Rooney with the win. Um, I think they have a little bit too much firepower right now. Um, you know, we all want to see Buster play. Um, I think it's going to be a, a good challenge for the New England um, midfield. I think Greg McWilliams is a, you know, was the um, attack coach for the Eagles. He's going to bring a bunch of staff. I think New England's going to work hard, but I just don't think that they're going to hit the ground running. I think this is going to be New York. And I think it's going to be New York 35, New England 20. I like it. All right. Game five is our CBS Network's game of the week. It'll be in San Diego. It is the championship rematch. The Seawolves on the road to the Legion. 
It's five o'clock Eastern Sunday, so that is two o'clock Pacific. Who went first last time? I did. You go first on this one, Pete. I mean, this is this is another game that that could had have seeding implications for the end of the year. I mean, I think both of these teams make the playoffs. You know, we we talked about how Seattle have added players, San Diego have added players, but I think it's the loss of Paddy Ryan. I don't know that San Diego have actually um, uh, replaced that in terms of their scrum. I think, you know, we we think back to year one when Seattle's scrum dominated San Diego. I don't think they're going to dominate San Diego, but I think they'll have an edge. And I think that edge will um, lead them to a win. Um, I'm going with Seattle, and I'm going to say this is, I mean, th- I mean, this is a bounce of the ball game, right? So it's 50-50, but I'll go with Seattle, and I'll say it's 28-27. The West goes through Seattle. That's all I'm going to say. They will beat the Legion again. The scars of June 2019 have not healed. And like you said, I think Seattle are still strong where they need to be strong. I think San Diego have bolted themselves in other areas, but Seattle just have a habit of turning things into an arm wrestling into their favor. So Seawolves to get it done again. And uh, yeah, we agree on that one. All right, game six. As we welcome uh, another new broadcast partner into the fold, Fox Sports 2. It'll be Toronto, the Arrows on the road against the Gilgronies, Boston at the Circuit of America, which is, uh, if you haven't been there, it's an absolutely unbelievable facility. Uh, I went there to watch a race, not a, not a game of rugby. So I'm excited to jump into the middle of the track and, and call this game with you, Pete Steinberg, on Sunday night, 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern which is 5 p.m. Pacific. So once Seattle-San Diego finish, flick over to Fox Sports 2, and you'll be able to see me and Pete do our thing. And I am going first on this one. I'm Ron Burgundy. Yeah, you I'm are going, going first. I am going first on this one. Uh, I want to go for the Kill Cronies. I just love everything about the Kill Cronies. I love the name. I love the way it was done. I love what they're doing in the, in the area with the youth. I, I want to go for them. I really do. But I think Toronto are going to be one of the top sides this year. I actually have Toronto in the final this year coming out of the East. So I will go for the Arrows on the road down there. It's going to be a fast track. I don't know if you've seen any of the pitches that they put up. It is going to, it's a soccer field for the Austin Bold. And those are fast tracks. And that plays right into Toronto, who will uh, probably be enjoying the warmer weather that Austin will be putting on for them as well. So Arrows to get it done, 32-17. Over the Gilgronies. I'm sorry, Gilchrist and the Gilgronies, but Toronto, I think they're going to be one of the top one or two sides this year. Yeah, I think this one's pretty easy to call. I think there's a lot of change. I think the change is going to have a good long-term impact, but I think the short-term impact is going to be um, a challenge. You know, I think that this is going to be Toronto. I think, you know, the Gilgronies will, you know, they'll... They'll be up for it. I, I love the facility. I'm with you on that. I think, um, you know, it's great to be on Fox Sports too. But I think this is going to be Toronto. I think this is going to be Toronto. Uh, it's hard. Like, it's going to be hard for Toronto. They come down, you know, from, from the north. I'm not sure that they can really hit the ground running as much as they would like because of the weather they have up there. So I'm going to say the Gilgrenes are going to make it a little bit difficult for them. I mean, I think their, their, their scrum is going to be strong. So... Toronto were a little slow last year coming out of the blocks. I think they'll do it again. So I think this is Toronto 26, the Gilgronis 12. The Gilgronis. 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 The AGs. The AGs. And what are their fans called? Gillies. Gilgroniacs. Gilgroniacs. That's a good one. They're definitely Gilgroniacs. They're definitely Gilgroniacs. I have loved the last six months as we have previewed all these teams, but I am so excited to get back with you this weekend and do what we do best, and that is call the action, bring it into the living rooms of all the fans around MLR. We uh, look forward to seeing you all out at the game this year. Don't be afraid to come up, say hi, uh, grab a photo. 
and we don't mind that at all and have a chat as well. We've got plenty of time for all the fans around the MLR. Pete, it's been a long one. It's been a great one. Appreciate you jumping on at 4 a.m. Singapore time. You are an absolute champion. And I will see you Sunday. First, though, let the fans know what they need to do. Subscribe, like, all that stuff. You're such a social media guru. I love it. I, I, you know, I, I am not a social media guru because my lack of Instagram is really preventing me from um, being able to make these predictions effectively. But as the season starts, you can help other people find the Major League Rugby Kickoff podcast by rating us and leaving reviews wherever you get your podcast whether it's um, stitcher uh, um, google play um, itunes wherever it is if you can rate us subscribe and leave a review that helps other people find the podcast and that helps grow the game of rugby we appreciate that dan it's been a pleasure it's now 5 30 in the morning in singapore i was going to go back to sleep but i think i might just get up um go work out and then eat the amazing uh, spread that they have here for the breakfast buffet. So that's what I think my morning is um, before I go off and work for my client. Enjoy the infinity pool. For Pete Steinberg, Aaron Kasher, I'm Dan Power. This has been the MLR Kickoff Podcast.